They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Sofia Antonellini, a passionate feminist activist from Argentina, currently living in Amsterdam. Sofia works as a program manager for a Syrian feminist organization and is part of different feminist collectives involved in decolonial practice and intersectional feminism. Sofia says, and I'm quoting here, As a Latina migrant living in Western Europe, I'm interested in the connections between the Western and non-Western contexts, particularly in dismantling unfair representations of the global South to promote social justice. This, along with the potential of transnational feminist solidarity, are, in my opinion, the most powerful tools for change. End of quote. On a lighter note, Sophie is a mate addict. For those of you that don't know what mate is, it's a herbal tea that has a strong cultural significance and is the national drink of Argentina, Paraguay and Uruguay. Sophie also loves swimming in open waters and plays the drums in a percussion feminist group. The title of today's episode is Our Love Letter to Feminism, and we will speak obviously about Sophie's journey towards feminism and activism, about borders, about feminist solidarity, femicide, transfemicide, our ancestors, and a lot more. Welcome, Sophie. I'm so happy that you're here with us today, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. Hello, Stella. I'm looking forward to. Very happy. Great, great. So let's start with who is Sophie? Give us an introduction to yourself. Okay. So Sophie, Sophia, but Sophie, I like to be called Sophie. Uh, I'm an Argentinian. Uh, my zodiac is Aries. Um, I am the oldest of three siblings. Uh, I am a feminist activist, a very passionate feminist activist, a passionate person myself, very empathetic. And uh, I studied political science and then I did a master's in gender studies and I like to swim. Water gives me a very calming, it's a calming element for me. So I could say that, Sophie. Nice. Thank you for the introduction. And I want to read a quote from a, a book. And then I will ask you our next question. I want to use this quote as an introduction. Where did we find feminism? Or where did feminism find us? And when did feminism become a word that not only spoke to you, but spoke you, spoke of your existence, spoke you into existence? When did the sound of the word feminism become your sound? And who gave it to you? These are some of the central questions Sara Ahmed asks so beautifully in her introduction chapter to living a feminist life. She further emphasizes that feminism is a movement that requires us to be moved while feminist theory is in touch with the world. It is world-making, acknowledging and elevating realities 
requiring us to commit to it, to live our lives in a feminist way. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sada, clap. Yes, yes. I love her so much. And I don't know, whenever I have a question, I go to Sada Ahmed, especially to that book, because you will nice. find the answer. You will find the inspiration there. So, Sophie, there's a lot in this paragraph that I read. So let's start with what is feminism for you and how would you define it? Okay, so uh, feminism for me is a constant resignification. It's, it's a moving concept, it's a moving action. I think that it, it lets me to, it, it's something that lets us to em embrace the possibility of hope, uh, of a better world, of a more inclusive world and more fair, not only for humans, but for any uh, living being. And for me, yeah, it's that. And it's also a new concept, actually, because I don't come from a, let's say, uh, a theoretical feminist background. I am the first recognized feminist of a few of a huge family. And uh, it, it is something that took me took me a time to understand that not only I am a feminist, but I come from a long line of very strong feminist women that didn't know what feminism means or that the word even exists. So for me, it, it also implied that, resignifying my own path, uh, resignifying the, the guilty I feel for being in, in some kind of way or that I felt for being in some kind of way coming from a very conservative and Catholic background. So yeah, I would say that that's feminism. Beautiful. And where did feminism find you or where did you find it and who gave it to you? So uh, let's see. I could say that I was I, I, I quite was privileged to get to know about feminism from an academic way perspective in university. That's when I started reading about uh, feminism uh, in a more, let's say, formal way. But it was... It was a professor who introduced to, it to me in university, but it was my, then after, after knowing what does it means and after feeling that it's a movement I am attracted to, I feel that it lets me to become uh, more aware of my own fights and more aware of uh, which kind of fights I want to put my energies to. I realized that I found feminism uh, in my family, in my, in my model, in, in my, my grandmothers, in, in my mother, a lot of actions that had to do with the, uh, showing uh, or fighting for being more comfortable in this world as being a woman. And that's how I started to, to discover it and, and, and to find it myself. I actually uh, spent the first 17 years of my life in a small city in Argentina, a small town, which was quite conservative and, and quite patriarchal and very machist. And me, myself, I went to a Catholic school. So I grew up with this uh, idea that if you're a woman and you get drunk, you are a whore, that you're a woman and you behave like some way, you're a whore. If you're a woman and you speak out so strong, that's not so good. If you're a woman, you know, and I could continue, which also then I understood that if you are a man and you cry, it's also wrong. It's a, so for me, feminism was resignifying all of those years of, of feeling myself guilty in so many levels. And I could say that it, this is going to sound very drastic, but it saved my life for me, feminism. And then I discovered the feminist world and what does it imply to recognize yourself a feminist and the sisters and brothers and, and persons that get to cross into your life and how you connect with them in this cause, that it's the feminist cause and the feminist movements 
and uh, I'm very I'm very happy I got to meet it. <laughs> wow. I'm already getting touched. <laughs> Because <laughs> nice. you know, I mean, also brings back my own memories and Yeah, uh, I can imagine. Yes. And I think that that's the potential that it has. Like if we are able to let ourselves connect uh into resignifying our own struggles and and realizing that they all had a, a lot to do of those struggles has to do because of this patriarchal world and i'm not meaning only having rights for women i'm meaning about uh living in this life while just destroying it and not thinking empathetically about what's next to us when you realize about that and you connect and you give to that connection the explanation of the feminist uh, cause it is touching it is for me it gives me hope Yes. And Sophie, how do you live a feminist life? Because as I said in the quote, we cannot just say we are feminists. We are, like as Sarah Ahmed says, it moves us. It's a movement. And I mean it also literally, it moves us. It's not just a movement. Yeah, it is a movement, but it also moves us. And it's not just theory. It's not just academic. It's also world making. It's You have to live in a certain way to be actually called a feminist. At least that's how I see it. And of course, it's an evolution. And I don't think first you find the word. First you have what you described and then later you find the word and you think, oh my God, now so many things make sense. But how do you live a feminist life? So actually, I wouldn't say, I don't know if the idea is living a feminist life. I am against, let, let's say this, I'm against this concept of the, I would say it's a Spanglish word, feministometro, like a thermometer of yeah. measuring who's more feminist and who has yeah. a more life and Because I think that's also a sickness and that's the comparison and this is a trickness of this capitalistic world also. Uh, but I think that for me, uh, it is trying to let the empathy flourish. It's trying to put myself on the shoes of the other person. It's trying to be, to let the tenderness come, but also not judge if I have a moment of despair and tiredness because... It's also difficult to acknowledge the the struggles of this world and to acknowledge the differences and and to feel that there's so much suffering as well. There is so much hope yet, but there is so much suffering. Uh, so um, for me, um, feminism is also that it's about spreading uh, the world. The, let's say the seed for change. If I if I face a situation. Uh, in the street that for me is, is not fair. If I face a conversation between my my companions, my partners, my friends, my colleague, that, uh, I don't know, sets a warning or a trigger in my head, it's speaking up. So having the courage, discovering that courage to speak up. It's also all of all the time uh, realizing that it's a constant process of, of changing what you believe in because we all grew up in this system that imposes you so many things that... We are just realizing, I mean, if we think about the changes that happened in the last, what, yeah, 20 years, 30 years, you know, at least, for example, in my context in Argentina, abortion is just legalized in December uh, 2020. Uh, and when I was born, abortion, I could not even mention it in my family. I was against abortion myself because I come from a Catholic family. Mm. When my grandmother, before my grandmother passed, I remember having this conversation. I was already living here in the Netherlands. Uh, and I remember having this conversation on the phone and she recognizing that even though she's against it, she thinks it's a, it's a fair cause. And I remember being a little girl and knowing that it's something wrong that we should not talk about. So feminist life is also realizing that everything is in a constant process for change. So we shouldn't judge 
the others. We should just try to open the conversations to think, okay, why I am laughing about this or why I am judging this person according to this behavior or this parameter that we believe are universal. So I think that it's it's mainly about trying to to change at any moment of our, at any chance without judging as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's why I also said it's an evolution. It's like a process. We are constantly learning more. And yeah, and, and I love that you also mentioned the, the empathy as, as a big part of feminism. Yeah, I think that that's uh, for me. Uh, I, I come from the very uh, on-the-ground activism in Argentina, feminist activism. So for me, it was also... Uh, I, I also come from a privileged background. I recognize that I, I, I never had to suffer for food. You know, I always had a dish on a meal on my on my table, even though my parents had to struggle a lot. And we come from a middle class family, but I recognize my own privileges. And I think that's also the the empathy and the power of feminism of recognizing that you have privileges, that you have your own struggles, and that you are worth for them. But recognizing those privileges and seeing that there's always something suffering more or to some kind of extent or that could not feel those kind of privileges so it's also putting yourself in the shoes of which lets you to believe that things should change at least for me yes and when you say underground feminism can you elaborate a little bit more yes so uh it's mainly not not an activism that it's uh, mainly more digital like we are more used to at least here or at this moment because of the covid or whatever happened in these last few years but uh we used to work we work no we used to the, the argentinian movement uh, considering the, the 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 demands of the population and the the issues that we face people need to organize collectively to struggle to demand to 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 satisfy their needs so the on-the-ground feminism is like going to the neighborhoods and organizing workshops, talks, uh, actions that are on the ground. It's like going to uh, the places and working together with the people, with the locals, uh, to share tools, to get to know each other's lives and to work together to, to change those unfair situations, let's say. So that's why when I would refer to on-the-ground is like facing some kind of challenges that maybe you didn't face in your life and seeing people facing them, seeing the the lack of food, seeing the lack of uh, the government not being present, the police harassing all the time just because you're poor, or the violences that poverty implies. So the, the underground feminism is more the, the, the popular. We call it the feminismo popular, uh, popular feminism, because it comes from the town, the, the, the people, the people. So it's it's uh, that's where I discovered, uh, yeah, so many things. I learned so much from these amazing women. <laughs> the single mothers, that they have all the strength and all the power that it's unimaginable. Yes. And I actually, I have a lot of questions now, <laughs> but I know we will take them soon. But one of the questions, or no, actually one of the things that I want to say right now is there, because I don't think people are aware of this, especially in the global North, for them, feminism is like breaking the glass ceiling, having more women in boards, having more women as CEOs. Um, or even people saying, we don't need feminism anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, we have already achieved everything that we needed, right? Yes. And um, Or saying, the other day I heard something, uh, feminism is from the 60s. We should use gender equality now as a replacement of feminism. Yeah. And I had like, anyway, I, because I engage with these things, because some people don't, but I find it important. Yeah. So I was like, no, absolutely not. But I find it really good what you said, or not good, important. You say 
feminism is also about fighting for food, fighting against exactly. police violence. Um, yeah, imprisonment. Feminism is so many things in so, so many, many different things. places. And you mentioned it earlier, we should actually speak about feminisms because mm. there is not just one feminism. Yeah, this is something, well, when I moved to 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 Europe, to Western Europe, to this context uh, almost four years ago, wow, uh, I realized of the differences uh, that are there, like uh, how different, because of the context, contextual needs and how in some situations, for example, in Sweden, where I did my master's, this idea of having achieved the moment of greatness just because they have equal fatherhood and motherhood for the, the paternity leave. And that's, yeah, we achieved everything uh, for me. And I'm very grateful and thankful for those years learning of, of, of the popular feminism because uh, it makes me remember where I come from. It makes me remember the struggles that are the most important ones, that are the ones that, uh, yeah, you should never forget the main struggle, that is the social class struggle, that, that we are in a capitalistic world, that patriarchy is part of it, but that the difference is, there's always this huge gap between those that do not have a, a, a meal or, or food or, or a place where to live or health, all of these basic needs that here in the global north is just something so taken for granted that it, it mixes up even the feminism itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why when I tell you that, what is a feminist life? Like for me, it was not something like, okay, now I'm a feminist. I use it as a title. For me, it was just, I discovered that I am surrounded by amazing feminists, but because I'm calling them feminists, they don't even use the word. Yeah. But they're de doing so much work without knowing. And that's why, yeah. So that I, I, I don't think that, if someone doesn't recognize themselves as a feminist, they're not being feminist themselves. <laughs> yes. I want to now talk a little bit more about your activism, what activism means to you and how your activism is manifested. And I also remember um, with the single moms that you told me you were actually creating spaces for them to see you, to do some crafting work. And yeah. you created spaces for them so they could talk to you and your group obviously about the domestic violence they were experiencing yeah so yeah there's so many different forms of activism and maybe we can just take this as one example and then you share with us because there are a lot of ways to be an activist yeah definitely definitely so in my personal experience I actually started uh, well for me activism is everything like for me a small changes in a joke when you're with your friends or uh, I don't know laughing about someone uh, when you are discussing about some topic or these kind of uh, actions that you have in your daily life helping someone to cross the street that's activism for me that everything is activism it can be there's no need to be yourself called an activist again the same with feminism <laughs> I think it, it's the, the fact of being of being in action, of keeping yourself moving. And then also this movement that Sarah Ahmed was referring. Also activism is about that, it's taking actions, taking steps uh, towards a, a bigger cause, let's say, that not necessarily will bring you a materialized uh, positive thing to you, but then will bring you this, yes, this this comfort that you are, yeah, you feel that you're you're helping to in a little bit change the world. In my own experience, I started being, let's say, an activist, um, doing volunteering in Argentina uh, with the university. 
But I also realized during those years, um, doing like uh, helping kids in the neighborhood with school homework and these kind of things, you know, I realized that this was more a charity action. And I realized that that's, that's the kind of concept that I don't like. It's like yeah. I'm offering my left time to someone and helping. I realized that for things to change, it needs to be collective action. It needs to be me having the chance and the privilege to go to university and knowing about how to, I don't know, write a statement or to write something to demand the government to put the water in certain neighborhood. That's a tool that I can do something that is collectively impacting or collectively impactful, impactful for the whole society or for at least the community. So if I have that tool and I have the chance to spread that tool and be part of a, a bigger thing, uh, that's, that's, that was the, the moment that my idea of activism also changed. Uh, so I think that it, it, it complies everything. But I think that we need to have the, not we need to, but if you have the privilege to recognize yourself as someone that has something to share that could create a long lasting impact, be it, I don't know, sharing with your network, be it discussing if you're a man, discussing with your colleagues about the harassment situation at work and not laughing at it. Or if you are with your friends and you're talking about one of your friends and calling them in some despective way just because they behave in some way. So these kind of small things, they're also activists for me because everything plays part of the system. Everything is activism. I find this really important what you just said because people always think oh, activism is like going into the street and protesting. Yeah, that's also activism, but there's a yeah. lot more to activism. And actually I want to read out a quote that I put the other day on my Instagram. It's by Ava DuVernay that I love her a lot. She's a director, producer, and she says, activism is inherently a creative endeavor. It takes a radical imagination to be an activist, to envision a world that is not there. It takes imagination, and that's not far from art. Yeah. Yeah, well, nice. Yeah, definitely. But also, I think that what you just said before about this idea of the activists going to the streets and It's also um, something I really attach to the global north because I never considered myself an activist before. I was just doing stuff <laughs> that we need to do in order for the police yeah. not to kill the kids on the streets because they're poor. Yeah. So um, also this idea of be becoming an activist comes from a background also of the privilege of having the time to go to the streets and demonstrate when those that cannot go to the streets to demonstrate or, or they have to go like in Argentina because there is no other way, you know, they do not see themselves as activists. They are doing whatever they can to change their reality and to survive. So uh, that's why I think that it's a very wide concept, but I can contextualize it. I think everything needs to be contextualized, of course, because uh, I think that also activism is everything. And even here, when I see, when I talk about it in the Netherlands, I was discussing this with a colleague the other day. She was telling me that, oh, uh, I really admire how uh, a lot of the efforts you put for the activism you do. I am not an activist myself. And I was telling her like, no, <laughs> you are. Like with the things you're doing in your family, with the way you are raising your kid, with uh, uh, sharing about the situations that happen in the kindergarten or in your neighborhood or, You're an activist. You are changing things. You are trying to live a better world. So, yeah. Yes. And for me also, this is what I just read with the creativity. When I watched like two, three months ago, a documentary about um, when there was the HIV crisis in the States, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the coalition act up that people got together, yeah. right? went into yeah, the yeah, street yeah. and they protested and they became so creative. I mean, it yeah. was incredible how they started with 100, 200 people in a room. And then their activism became so creative. Like in the end, they even brought a dead person into the streets, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was so powerful and it was so amazing. And, and it really described what you just show. The struggle is real, you know, activism yeah. is really Yeah, people have yeah. to, like, they struggle and they become, when you struggle, you become desperate. And that also you makes you creative. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's an amazing, uh, an amazing and powerful tool. I mean, I think art is also a very amazing tool with endless limits that if it is also applied for activism, it can, yeah, create so much long-lasting effect. And that if we get art together with... Uh, Uh, the different aspects and the music which is art as well but we can change the world and we're doing it yes yes absolutely thank you so much yes i'm i, I want to now talk about something actually sad femicide and oh, also yeah. uh, trans femicide which i know i mean femicide and trans femicide are both big problems in latin america but they also exist in other parts of the world And actually, yesterday I read an article in The Guardian about the situation in the UK that that is also something that exists in Europe, let's say. Yeah. But let us talk a little bit about it. Maybe you can share with the audience what is femicide, transfemicide. Maybe you can share a little bit from the Latin American context, but also the European one. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, that is, it, it is definitely a difficult topic. Um, and uh, I don't know why I get emotional <laughs> a little. I get a lot. Yeah. And also, like, uh, it has only been until this year that uh, the Dutch newspapers published a first article to talk about the feminicides in the Netherlands. I mean, women are killed here, too. Yeah. And trans uh, transgender people are killed here, too, but we don't have those numbers. It's something that it's so terrible that people want to deny that it's happening. It's, it feels that uh, you can see it on the TV, but when then you realize that it's close to you, you just turn your eyes you know, and close them. And I think that that also speaks about the the lack of numbers in terms of trans feminicides, because the, the trans people are those whose, whose right and whose courage to really embrace the person that they are inside and, and to show who they truly are to the world ends up with so much violent, so much violence. And that tells you how the patriarchal world can reach extreme uh, places. So, Feminicide, so just to give the explanation, feminicide is uh, the idea of, not the idea, is the cause of, of killing someone, killing a woman, taking advantage and just thinking about the power differences of that person being a woman. So I am killing someone or taking possession of that, that body, that human, because I think that because it is a woman, my violence can't reach no limits. I feel more powerful. I put all my powers toward that, and 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 the idea of the feminicides come from the, the the yeah the law. The idea of recognizing a crime as a feminicide is because you recognize that it's not only killing someone; it's killing someone because that person is a woman, and the fact that that person is a woman gives you the power to proceed to kill that, that someone. And in the case of trans feminicides, it's the same, but because that that person is trans, which adds something that if we want to here is not the moment, but if we think about it philosophically is 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 a life that decided to become a man or a woman that took the power and the courage to decide when in this patriarchal world you are or this or that 
So it's like uh, the most courageous act of life ends up being punished with taking your life. And uh, in, uh, in Latin America, is yeah, well, I was reading a few days ago about Mexico and the situation with transfeminicides that now is, I think, the second wor world, uh, place in the world with the highest numbers. In Argentina, feminicides is like uh, a really sad reality and it shows you the, the fear and the threats that we lived with every day. But the, the violent uh, places, atmospheres and situations that also women and transgender lives are exposed to here in Western Europe, sometimes it's either to some extent uh, more invisible. And that's also scary. Like the fact that when you want to search these numbers here in the Netherlands, there is no information. That doesn't mean it's not happening. That means that they don't want to show this because that implies changing this whole idea of this progressive, open, amazing, open-minded, inclusive country and society. So I think that the, the idea of feminicides and transfeminicides is something to start uh, sadly talking more about and also realizing that the cause behind them, it, it's, it's all these micromachisms and these patriarchal reactions and behaviors that we live in. Like uh, for me, the idea... I. Having a TV show that just treats women as objects or having advertisings that treats women as, obje as objects or having laws that tells you that transgender are not humans or that they don't have the chance to decide about their own identity. That is what leads to create this concept that women are less or that trans are less. And it's a complex, it's a complex uh, problematic. And yeah, uh, it is a little bit uh, for me. Uh, touching because I, I have uh, I have uh, been in the streets in Argentina so many times for this and it feels that it's never ending uh, to some kind of extent but when that happens I go back to the transgender feminist activists from my country that for me they're they're part of my salt <laughs> so yeah yeah it's difficult to talk <laughs> to come back after no, it is. It is. And, and I think it's really important. You said earlier, they don't they don't want to admit it. Let's say that it exists here because they want to portray this democratic, uh, open minded society. And I think it's so important because if you feel something or if something exists and there's no word for it, it's like you exactly. don't acknowledge it. It's like exactly. it's not there. So if somebody says, but you are racist and people don't recognize the word racist, or institutional discrimination, or feminicide, or whatever it is, then it's not there. Yeah, and it's yeah, so yeah. important to create words, to create concepts, to first of all acknowledge them. And I think I was reading the book, you know, uh, White Innocence by Gloria Wecker, and she says at one point, it's, of course, it's more about racism there, but she says the problem is that on the one hand they don't know, and on the other hand they don't want to know. They don't want to know. Yes, 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 because it's a, it's. A, it's harsh to realize that you're part of something that, that it's so so horrible and that you're super against. And it doesn't take just one apology. It takes like realizing that the system is wrong. And this is what also Gloria Becker says in, in her book. Like uh, it's not about apologizing because your nation killed uh, populations, entire populations around the world. It's realizing that this and the violence uh, portrays that stays in our genetic history in in. in what has been constructed in the idea of the nation. So I think that with feminicides and transfeminicide, it's also, uh, you, you're totally right. Like uh, there is a step that it's realizing, recognizing the problematic, naming it. 
Uh, but this year we had an article at least talking about the killing of women in the Netherlands, that it happens every 10 days. Uh, and that's already a lot. Uh, so yeah, I saw it also last year on, on in One World. In it's, One World, yeah. It's, it's yeah. the same article, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. And I was yeah, really last like... year, and that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. Because you started with your soul, I'm going to make a swap, but I will still ask you the other question. Okay. <laughs> so... Let's continue with who has been your soul to inspire you. Let's continue with the transgender community in Argentina. Yeah. So I have many, many persons to say my soul, I think. But I have different... Uh, I received strong effects from them in different parts of my life. And when I say the transgender feminist, I talk about uh, names like uh, Susie Shock and uh, um, Loana Berkins and Camila Sosa Villada. Uh, And uh, Marlene Guayar, it's, it's just an endless list. Sadly, some of them were assassinated and we remember them, but their words and their, their strength, even though uh, fighting for a cause in a society and in a country that turned their back on them and that treat them as really the worst, the worst of the worst, it's already, it has a transformative potential for me that makes me, I don't know, whenever I feel that the world is too heavy, I put a video of them or I, I listen to some uh, poem by Lo Camila Sosa. She's a writer and she's also an artist in, from Argentina. Uh, I listen to something that she reads and I feel so much, I, I feel, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I feel so inspired. I feel like uh, there is so much strength behind their lives. And, their, and if they could achieve like this, what are we complaining about? So it's like I, I take them as a role, as a model. Then also my, my ancestors. Like I am a, a fan <laughs> of my ancestors and the, the female figures in my family because I know uh, the fights they went through. And sadly, I realized about them maybe when they were not here anymore. But I kind of... kind. Yes, I can resignify their lives in, from a feminist perspective, and I realized that they were super badasses. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, of course, like my mom is a, is, is a salt, and I think I'll always we with the time we realize we realize more about it. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, so I'm realizing <laughs> about it now. And my colleagues, I am very proud of my colleagues. Uh, now I work for a Syrian organization, and they are they are definitely part of my soul too because their their histories and their struggles and I learn a lot from them about resilience and so yeah I, I think I can't find as pieces of it so I keep discovering salts in my everyday life but yeah going back to the transgender feminists the women that are transgender activists because they're women they're like uh, mothers and aunts yes. and they're yes. um, they have a strength that really fits me so I thank them a lot. Beautiful. And to whom do you want to pass the salt? And what do you want to say? <laughs> so to whom do I want to pass the salt? I think that I want to say the young generations, but this sounds so cliche and it makes feel that things are done already. And no, that's not true. I think that to everyone that is listening to this podcast and to everyone that maybe feels a little bit overwhelmed with the their life and the crisis and, and the struggles. And maybe I want to tell them to be patient. Uh, that's something that I also try to learn myself because I'm a very 
active person and I have not so much patience. <laughs> I want to see the effect now. I want to see the achievements now. And we don't realize that that's also a capitalistic timing. Like that's also part of this life we are, that it's a chaos and everything happens in just an open and closing of the eyes. Like we are already one year in this pandemic outbreak. <laughs> what happened? So I think that when I, what I want to say is just be patient and to learn to trust uh, in ourselves and in the struggles that came before us and to continue that path. So I want to say patience, patience. I think patience is good. <laughs> Sophie, usually I finish with this, but I want to ask you one more thing. What is your favorite book, poem, song, piece of art that, yeah, Maybe yeah. give you hope or this is where you nurture yourself from. And yes. yeah, share it with us and tell us why. Yeah, definitely. So I have a favorite book uh, that I read in university because of the masters. And so I'm very also thankful for that. Uh, that is from Gloria Alsandua, uh, who is a Chicana feminist. Uh, yes. That means like uh, she, she was a writer from... Um, a community from Mexico that is in the border between the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, so she wrote this book called La Frontera, The Borderland. And uh, For me, uh, it's just so powerful. Uh, whenever I, I feel like I need to come down to earth and be patient and uh, read the lines and the words of someone that struggled a lot because she was a, femin uh, she was a feminist, but she was also a, a queer individual, Uh, coming from a conservative background in a society was that was rejecting her because she was not uh, a young conforming a yes exactly uh, so I always come back to it and I actually have a quote if if I can I feel I safe identify with her because I always have been in kind of a borderland myself yes not belonging there not belonging here also I, I am a queer myself so it's like uh, I feel identify in a lot of things that she says So. It's sorry before you start. In my last podcast, I honored her. Ah, okay, okay. And okay. I read. So I'm really looking forward to what you're going to read, and and I called actually the title also "Breaking Borders." Ah, I, I honored okay. her even with the title because uh, yeah, she was just so way ahead of her time, and you could even say she created the concept of intersectionality. Actually, like yeah, she did so many things, and yeah, I I like her a lot and I'm still on a journey with her that I yeah. and I'm really enjoying the journey with her yeah yeah it's amazing and for me it was really because she also talks about this idea of resignification constantly of and of not rejecting what you, where you come from of taking the pieces that can be helpful for yourself and constructing a new you all the time and for me that was so impactful because I was always when I started being an activist and I started university I was going to, before that, I was going to church every Sunday. I was the church girl, you know, in the group. And, and then I rejected it completely because I felt it, it hurt me so much, uh, all the things that the church imposed on me. But then I read her uh, and I realized that rejecting that, rejecting my, my Catholic ma grandmother, um, the Virgen de Guadalupe, <laughs> the, uh, rejecting all of this is also a kind of, I don't know, like a colonial mindset that uh, governates me or that trying to take the parts that from that, that faith and that strong faith and the prayings of my grandmother for me to grow up healthy and to be okay, even though I'm crazy and she knows it, <laughs> you know, that's a, a very special protection that I carry with me. So 
being grateful for that is a way of resignifying my own history from a feminist perspective, or at least from a feminist perspective that I decide to have, that is also decolonial. Well, I don't want to get into concepts now, but, you know, it's interesting. And Gloria, Gloria, she blew my mind when I read her. So I'm very grateful. To Tell her. us the quote. Yes. So it goes like this. Borders are set up to define the places that are safe and unsafe. To distinguish us from them is a dividing line, a narrow strip along a strip edge. A borderline is a, is a vague and undetermined place created by the emotional residue of transition. The prohibited and forbidden are its in inhabitants, los atravesados. So I really like when I, I felt that it, the idea of being in the borderland, of not being there, not being here as a Latino migrant, I don't know. It's why does the borderland is an uncomfortable place? We need to also start learning to be more comfortable in the uncomfortable places. So I think that that's why it's a book that I really, uh, I really love. And also because she uses Spanish words. Yes, that's, yes. That's really strong. That's also breaking borders, the exactly. code switching. The code switching, yes. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and it's... What I love about her, because it really speaks to me and my own story, it is, and it goes to what you said earlier, that we can only be one thing. Exactly. What are you? A woman. Uh, are you a woman or are you a man? Are you Greek or are you German? Are you, I don't know, a believer or are you a non-believer? Yeah. It's always this, you know, and yeah. no, I'm many things and I can be many things at the same time. And that's why I like her so much. Yeah, you know, and, exactly. And other people like Maya Angelou that really represent this because in them I found an answer to all those struggles that I had all those years, you know, that I felt like, oh, I, but I can only be one thing, but I'm not one thing. I'm many things. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you, Sophie, for sharing this quote with us. You're welcome. It's very nice. Yeah. And do you have a question for me? Yes, actually. So, because I know, I know we we know a little. We met a few times before. Feel the the strength <laughs> and the power that you have. So, maybe I'm asking you just to learn from you. Which which are the tools, or which has been the places, the people, the the things that you go to when you feel that the world is a little bit too much? Hmm. Yes. So, where do I find my hope, my inspiration? My... Let's say yes. There are a lot of, yeah, okay, I have to think before I answer. Yeah, I know, it's a complicated <laughs> question. <laughs> no, because I, I know, but I want to I put it well. So when I think I have, so on the one hand, I have this incredible strength inside of me that comes from my mother. Mm. And that goes a little bit in line in what you said with the ancestors, and she has it from her mother which is on the one hand a good strength because it has saved my life so many times and it has created this resilience and not resilience in the sense of what you said earlier, we are not allowed to say, oh, I'm not okay today or I'm sad or I'm whatever. I'm not talking about resilience as a virtue, you know, we are yeah. resilient. But it has planted so much in me that it keeps just, yeah, I just have this incredible strength inside of me. I just don't give up. I just keep going and... Yeah, this comes from my mom and I know from her mother, but it's also negative because it has installed other things, but I'm not going to go there. But yeah, I have this strength inside of me that feeds me constantly. So sometimes when I have this hopeless moments or the sadness, I go inwards and I connect with the strength that I carry in me that has been given to me, you know, 
and that is actually growing and growing and growing and growing. So that's one thing. Um, the other so thing powerful. is, yes, it, it is very powerful. It is, it is, because I'm even often asked, like, yeah, but I have this inside of me. I carry this strength in me, you know. And um, the other thing is my faith. I'm, I'm a believer, and that has also been a journey. So when what you shared with me before resonates also with me, the shaming culture, being raised in a conservative environment, and then finding my own way of belief, how I believe that it's just me, and in my case with God, but it's just us. There's nothing else in between. What is, yeah, that's yeah. why I love Gloria. That's why I love these people because Maya Angelou, I can be all these things, you know, and I can be a feminist and I can be a believer and I can be an activist and whatever. And I can be a mother and I can still do all these things, you know. So that's another thing. And um, then I find strength. I love people. Mm -hmm. I just love people. And uh, I find strength through everybody. There might be a moment where I'm, I'm having a hopeless situation and then I will think about you. <laughs> and I will, yeah, and I will remember something that you said, and it will just inspire me so much or give me hope, you know. Yeah. Or I will remember, I don't know, something my one of my kids said, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then also my partner, he's really, he's really my rock because he has really given me peace. Mm. Um, I was before a hot mess, <laughs> and he's really my, um, yeah, he always calms me down. He, yeah. he, he, yeah, and he just, believes in me and supports me in all the way so wow. um yeah i think i mean I, I could mention more but yeah people That's in general so, so yes. powerful thank you for sharing yes and and also i'm somebody i love to connect with people i don't like small talk superficiality and the connections that i'm building they also give me so much hope and strength and love yeah. receiving love and giving love i think that's the last thing that i want to say you know when yeah. i mean we maybe we can share with the audience um i did an internship at the organization where you work and when you said earlier my colleagues are my salt i cannot agree more i mean yeah. i spent a short time with all of you but this love you know also the love in, in feminism maybe something we didn't touch so much today the love between women the 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 platonic love we actually need more platonic love because it is Man. so powerful yes, you know yes yes and this love between people between women and without being sexualized or pornographic or whatever you know this also gives me a lot of strength and i have so many amazing women in my life and being with you in that organization with women with feminist women even we couldn't see each other because some are in turkey somewhere in, in france but this love that I could feel between us, this also gives me a lot of strength and a lot of hope. And it's something that I've discovered the last few years. And it's just so powerful. So, yeah, all these things. Thank you. That's beautiful. <laughs> I always say that I, I am in love with all of my friends, all, yeah. all the women that get to cross in my path. I'm, I'm in love with them. And yes. I know that I love them. And I know... Thanks to feminism, I also discovered that you can love in so many ways. Yes. At the same time. And yes. Yes. Yeah. I read Adrian Rich. She actually, uh, she talks about um, this, uh -huh. this continuum. She calls it the lesbian continuum. But she <laughs> says it's, it, there's this love between women that is, it's on so many different yes. strengths. Uh, yes, because you, you recognize those pains and those struggles. Yeah. And you can emphasize in a, in a way that it's beyond limits. So... 
Yeah. Amen for that love. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And actually, I will just say this one more thing and then we close. I, I watched a talk last week and it was about kinship, radical kinship and kinship. Maybe for people that don't know, it's from being related, right? So mm -hmm. we have this idea of your family as your husband, your wife, your kids, your mother, your father. And this is this is like your where you get all your help from. But we have to break this idea, right? Again, breaking borders that you can have a connection with friends and they can become your kinship. And this idea of radical kinship, that we help each other. And there was one woman, actually, she was saying when she had cancer, she had so many people around her and she called them her kinship that were not her family. And they healed her. And yeah. the love that she had with all these women, all these people who were there, really healed her. And I think we need to invest more in this, into the community, into the, the kinship beyond the family, because this is how we can really make a change and yeah. above this individualized society that we live in. Uh, something connected with that. Also, we, we, we could continue forever. Yes, Stella. we can. We already know this. But the audience <laughs> is going to be like, oh my gosh, shut them. <laughs> but just one thing, because this is also something that I really relate with. I hate the word networking. Yeah. Because networking is that. It's how the, the capitalistic world created this idea of building a community and connecting with the people uh, that for us is netting. Tejer, tejer. It's like netting. It's in Spanish, tejer. Tejer comunidad, which is networking, it's actually so important to, to, to change things. As you said, to, it could heal a disease and it could also change the system. Like when we're all together in the streets, the power is infinite. That's the most amazing recharging for me, like the streets, taking the streets and <laughs> the revolution. No, but I, I seriously mean that um, the community surrounding yourself and spreading the love, is, it's healing. Yes, totally. And that's beautiful. Totally. Sophie, I will stop. <laughs> we will, because yeah, we can continue offline. Um, yes, I want to finish with, we've we already honored so many people today, but I still want to honor one more, as I always do at the end of my podcast. And today I want to honor Professor Angela Davis, political activist, philosopher, academic, author, revolutionary, feminist. And um, I'm concluding our talk with the following quote. You have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world. And you have to do it all the time. Yes. Thank you so much, sister. Thank you, sister. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. And I will upload all your information on my Instagram. Thank you to everybody for listening. And yeah, feel free to contact me if you have questions. And yeah, I always love to hear from you. So thank you so much, Sophie. It has been a pleasure. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri and this is Salt the Podcast.